This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live Podcast. Live from Sherman Talent. Real talk about talent acquisition, recruiting, sourcing, and hiring. Are you in talent acquisition? Then listen up, because we're about to blow Blow your your mind. mind. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Tara on from Riviera Advisors. We'll be talking to her about three things. Uh, Riviera Advisors, uh, also her session here at Sherm Talent, and uh, lastly, what she learned during the pandemic, or at least the first two years of the pandemic, we should say. So, uh, Tara, would you please introduce yourself and Riviera Advisors? Great. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, so, my name is Tara Amaral. I am currently working out of Charleston, South Carolina, which was a pandemic shift for me. I uh, abruptly moved about a year and a half ago, and I'm loving every minute of the change. Um, I joined Riviera Advisors about a year ago. Um, in full transparency, I had hired Riviera Advisors over the last 25 years when I was a head of Global TA at three or four different companies to come in and help me with the diagnostic. So, um, I like to think that Jeremy and I go back to some of our early SHRM days where we were on um, committees together on defining things such as quality of hire and cost per hire, two things that we're still trying to tackle in the TA world, which Turns is kind out. of ironic. Um, but one of the reasons I joined Riviera Advisors is we're a small boutique consulting firm that really focus on talent, talent acquisition, and talent strategy. And we partner with organizations, small and large. So we've got some small startups and then large multinationals, 100, 200,000 employees. And we really help them understand when somebody says talent acquisition isn't working or we're having problems or I know my team isn't using the tools we've bought. We come in and help them understand what are their people skills, what are their process opportunities and are they leveraging the technologies that they've bought or should be thinking about incorporating sometimes that also means shedding some technologies because they've overbought or haven't turned on all the functionality so we like to say that we come in and help them optimize and i think we're a little bit different than other consulting firms is that we actually give them a blueprint of here are the major areas that we found in our discovery sessions which is a collection of data analytics stakeholder meetings focus groups and candidate Mm -hmm. surveys and we say, here's, here's what we think is working, and you've got a great thing. But we'll really look at everything from workforce planning to onboarding and say, here are the bottlenecks, or here are the places where you're having fallout, or you're losing confidence, or your hiring teams are giving you significant feedback, or the recruiters are giving feedback about the hiring managers or the hiring teams. So it's, it's a practitioner's version of a consulting gig in that we really try to make sure that it's not going to collect dust. It's going to be... Um, authentic and implementable and it come and we give them a plan that allows them to do three or four foundational things and then continue to build on things that they can do in a quick hit and longer term. Sometimes clients ask us to supplement that with training. So we do training for recruiters on upskilling their um, skill set depending upon what they, what they need to do. It could be intake sessions or consultative skills. We also train hiring managers if it's needed. Um, we also uh, do some advisory work around organizational design, comes as part of the introspective. Um, and then we also have been doing a lot of work around um, DEI sourcing, um, what should I insource, what should I outsource. Um, and, we do t- and we do coaching of new TA uh, leaders and TA teams as well. I so it's it. great. It's a lot of problem solving. It's very creative. 
Um, and we work multi-industry, so there's a lot of commonalities, but then there's a lot of unique uh, drivers as well. Well, and you've worked the job. Yes, so you, I have been the job. <laughs> so the beauty is you can actually talk to your peers and go, hey, I've, I've sat at the desk, so I understand what you're going through. Exactly. And even though I've worked for more traditional global enterprises, right. every one of them has always had an innovation division or right. a JV division. And so I like to think that you know, as a startup wants to grow and go to that next level of funding, we can say, well, here are some of the things that you have to really think about. Yeah. I once I was uh, speaking at Erie, this is 100 years ago, I got off stage and a gentleman purple hair, whatever, walked up to me and says, William, I have a question. I said, okay, yeah, what's going on? He goes, I need to hire 10,000 people. He goes, how do I don't, I don't, I literally have no idea what to do. I said, okay. I said, it's going to be okay. First of all, uh, first thing you need to do is go and look for people that have already done this. Yes. (laughs) That's going to be the first thing you need to do. So look at Cisco or look at, you know, pick a company. Look at some of their talent leaders that have already done this and been down this path because they already know where the buried the bodies are buried, and they know some of the mistakes that you can easily avoid. Yeah. But yeah, so one of the things I love about y'all, and I've followed your company forever. Uh, I, the advisors I've, I've actually literally followed y'all forever. Is y'all help people with process engineering so you can go in and help people with what they have. So there's an audit process, and I know you'll have probably a name for it, but there's a way of looking at what they have and then going, okay, we don't have to change everything. We don't have to tear it all down. Right. We can tweak this and tweak that and make it just better, make it more efficient. What are, what are the common things that you're seeing today around speed where uh, they just need to get faster? Yeah, so I think we're seeing a few things. Um, everyone's very concerned about candidate flow. Yeah. Um, whether it's they front, don't have front any, of funnel, front of funnel, yeah, yeah. whether they don't have any or the recruiters are too overwhelmed to review the candidates that are actually applying. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when people stopped hiring during the, during the pandemic and then things took off like a hockey stick, a lot of companies reduced the number of recruiters they had. And then when they were ready to ramp up, recruiters could have workbenches, you know, double, triple what they had pre pandemic. And so they just don't have the time to necessarily go in and look at every candidate. And from a candidate experience standpoint, they're saying, oh, God, this is a black hole. I'm never going to get a job. Right. Um, so we, we do do a lot of looking at what's the top of the funnel look like, what's coming in organically, where, do, where should they be spending more money where they've had success in the past, or they're defining their future success and they have to change some of their sourcing channels. We do have some very realistic conversations about rec load. I mean, you can't do a good job if you've got 100 requisitions. It's just not going to happen. What do you, what's your current number? Um, for, well, it depends on the function. Right? I know. So, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, if you're a tech recruiter and you're working with one hiring manager in one city, you might be able to handle 20. But if yeah. you're working with 10 hiring managers in 20 cities or remote, you can't handle that. Right. Right. And if you're doing high volume hiring and the company has functionalized recruiting, they can probably handle more. And maybe they've even set up a pipelining system. Right. So they've got an even better chance at more productivity. So that's why we can't say that any two organizations are the same because they've made some historic decisions. And now we have to say, okay, if that was working, great. If it's not working, let's see how we can alter it for the future. That's right. Well, that's the beauty of also the, the history of what y'all have and also working in so many industries. You can actually bring that to bear. Exactly. Love that. Exactly. With technology, do you get into, uh, obviously, you evaluate their tech stack. 
it's it's either right for them or wrong for them or something that needs, needs to be tweaked or changed. Do you do help them do vendor selection as well? So I, um, I we do help them do vendor selection. We really first start with what have they bought and are they using it? And yeah. how are they monitoring their adoption rates? 100%. And, you know, not to make a gross generalization, but a lot of people don't turn on all the functionality or they have a small group of people evaluating the functionality and they're not really getting the feedback from the workforce at large that use it as to could this be really helpful. So we often say, go back and talk to your current um, providers, partners, and go back and say, am I using it the way I should be using it? And what else am I paying for that I should turn on before you go and buy anything else? That's right. Um, And then we start to take a look at are there recruiters working and using, you know, a lot of recruiters don't always push candidates through the process. So if you're buying more sophisticated technology, you need them to push them through the process so you can understand the details of the funnel and how things are progressing. So there's a lot of uh, re-education that goes on. And then we will take a look at, you know, do you have a talent referral program? Is your organization prepared to use machine learning um, as another opportunity to either mine your existing databases or push out? If they have sourcing organizations, um, do the sources, are they getting the productivity they need out of the sources? Do they need supplemental help for other providers that may go out and do that better than hours and hours a recruiter is sourcing databases on their own? So I use conferences like SHRM, and I was at HR Transform last a uh, couple of weeks ago, to go out and make sure that I'm up to date on who the partners are. Um, I do demos with all the partners and then ask to talk to two or three of their clients. Um, and so when we have a recommendation for a client, we don't give one name. We don't get referral fees or anything. Right. I want to give two or three names of people that I can say I've talked to their clients or I've worked with them personally. And I recommend that you at least have a conversation with them. Yeah. And then we make the introduction. It's worth well. a demo. Absolutely. You take it from there. Do you all ever get pushed in to advise uh, around RPOs about outsourcing? We do. And I ran an RPO myself personally. Um, And so we actually have been doing a lot of work around what should I insource and what should I outsource. We have been brought on, uh, me specifically, to help sit in on the conversations and the uh, the demos and the pitches and understand what are the other questions I should be asking. Um, You know, some companies, it's it's a different game now. Um, You know, should you have one RPO provider? Should you have multiple um, you know, I always think about why are you making the decision to outsource? I do believe companies who are having higher volumes need multiple variable levels, levers to pull, and RPO is one option if it can culturally work for them, right? You can't right. outsource a broken process and expect it to be better, faster, or cheaper. And so a company also has to be ready to outsource as well. well I, used to, I used to look at RPO is uh, the failure rate with RPO is because we expected them to do the job that we couldn't do. Exactly. And no changes were happening. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. so if you couldn't do it, you're going to now set a crazy expectation for me to do it. Yeah. It the nice thing sense. is, is, you know, there's a lot of emerging options around RPO. Yeah. So it's not, it has to be everything. You know, sometimes it's just an administrative shared right. services kind of play. Sometimes it's, you know, a, more of a project-based solution to help somebody get over a spike and say a, a startup's got a round of funding and they have to hire 150 people, right. you're not going to ramp up a new t- new in-house team to do that if it's a one-time event every two years. Right. So we are able to bring options to the table. Um, and there are a lot of creative um, augmentation solutions as well. I love that. Well, let's, let's pivot into your session and talk a little bit about what you talked about, but also some of the questions that might have come up. So my session yesterday was re-recruiting your current team and debunking the great resignation. And I don't like that title of great resignation yeah, because I. I think it was really just a time for everyone to take a pause. 
um, the pandemic, you know, I think almost everyone had to take stock of who they were, what they were doing. I go, go further. If you didn't take stock, something's wrong with you. I, I would agree with you. I, I mean, I moved. I mean, I, I sold the house. I moved. I went to a moved new to city. Moved to a great city. I did move to a great city. I knew nobody when I moved. And, um, and, I, and I changed jobs. Um, and so for me, it was really an epiphany on how I wanted to live my life and, you know, give, have time to give back. And I think a lot of people were doing that. I think the challenge in organizations that we're so focused on just tackling the day to day is um, while many companies did a great job in communicating with employees, one of the things that we talked about yesterday was they weren't necessarily talking about the future. Right. There's been a lot of discussion about where am I going to work? Can I work any place? Hybrid and all that kind of stuff. But they really weren't focusing on people with um, careers and jobs or internal opportunities. And that's where the focus was yesterday. So how do you make sure you're having an authentic and transparent conversation with your workforce around here's the job you have today? Here's how we as a company, here's our business strategy, and here's how you can play a role in this and really activating leadership, HR um, and middle and frontline managers to be that uh, conduit to make sure people are, are being taken along the path. Um, and really challenging organizations to have cross-functional project teams, internal conversations about teaching people how to network internally. Now, if you've worked at larger companies, many companies have done this already, but I think when hiring stopped and people were resigning, oftentimes people just got more work. Right. And that didn't work either. No. Um, and Turns so out. how do you balance that people want more responsibility, more reward and recognition and be able to feel better about not just the work they're doing, but the company that they're doing with it as well? You know, it's interesting because it, it models uh, or it follows the model of relationships, right? So I've always said that talent acquisition is the romance phase of the relationship. And then we drop them off at onboarding. They're employees. And we don't, we don't really romance them. I know. You know what I mean? If you've been in a long-term relationship, you, you know, you, you've got to continue to romance the person, turns out. Uh, so what a, what a wonderful session. Uh, although I'm with you on the great resignation, absolutely. Every time someone says it, I want to stab myself in the neck. But and, You know, it's funny because the numbers actually say the numbers aren't that different. It's just the intensity at which it's happening Oh yeah, um, that is really getting people off card. Yeah, and I, I think the the ability for all generations, if people want to say it's just Gen Z or millennial, it's like, no, yeah. no, this is everybody. <laughs> it's just they won't, they're, they're, they're now, they're unwilling to do certain things. And they found themselves in the position of like, mm, no. I know, and they have choices. And they have choices. Yeah. And even if they didn't, that's the odd thing. I think they'd still, yeah, I'd rather not work. I do talk to a lot of people who do resign and they don't have another option. And I, that surprises me. Um, I guess they have good savings. Well, <laughs> or they just figure it out. It's yeah. like, yeah, you know what? Whatever. Uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Whatever that is. I'm not going to. Uh, we were just talking to uh, a, somebody and they was like, he was thinking about some CHRR roles, but every single one of them was, you have to relocate. He's like, yeah. what, why? Why do I have to relocate? Haven't we learned that we don't have to do that? Well, it's funny. I have had a remote, a flexible work arrangement for 30 years. Um, I started when I was back at Chase. I was pregnant with my first child and I couldn't come into the office. Right. And there were several of us that were working remotely. And in almost every job, um, eventually, if I didn't start off with the flexible work arrangements, I eventually got to one. 
Um, and because you knew it could be done, I knew it could be done. I, at one point, I had a team of six hundred, and we were all remote. Um, and a lot of times, as the head of TA, you can never be in the same place for two meetings in the same building. So you're on the phone or now Zoom anyway. Right. Um, and so it was interesting when the pandemic forced everybody home in New York. It was March twelfth. Everybody all of a sudden had to do it. And I know I was like, God, I've been doing this for years. Don't overreact. And, and by the way, you still need bio breaks and you still need to go for a walk and all those things. So I think hopefully now people are a little bit more courteous about how people are spending their time. And I think that's one of the things with treating your employees. You know, yesterday we talked about you need compassionate leaders who are now going to understand, well, when my kid's daycare closes because of a COVID outbreak, I can't come into the office or I need flexibility. Um, and people are really stepping up for that. I love that. Let's pivot to the last thing, which is uh, the pandemic in the last two years. What have you What have you learned about yourself or about Riviera Advisors or your customers? What have you learned? Yeah, so interesting. From a work and life um, standpoint, um, I'm learning how to balance them both better. Um, I really like the fact that the work I'm doing, no two days are ever the same. Not that they are generally in TA, but... The clients that we're working with, the problems really are varied, whether it's a startup organization or a more traditional organization that's just at a different point of maturity and what they're looking at. Um, a lot of the clients are having the same problems. They're losing recruiters. Um, a lot of times it has, to, it has to do with the recruiters don't want to have to come back to the office. Right. Um, and they don't have to, and they can still get another job. Um, but I think everybody is committed. There is a recognition across all the clients um, at Riviera that – the, the TA now is even more important than ever in making sure that your brand is telling a good story, your recruiters know how to tell that story, the hiring teams know how to tell that story, and it is a candidate's market. So there's a lot of focus on how are we talking about an organization, how are we selling it, and are we showing up in an appropriate way? Um, and our, Or our, if we're reinventing ourselves, let's acknowledge it and figure out how we talk about ourselves as we go forward. And that's actually a little bit about me, too. I mean, I've started to play tennis, pickleball. I walk my dog every day. I go to the beach. Mm-hmm. It may be at 6 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night, but I've also figured out how to do the things that give me more pleasure um, and also make new friends and do all different things. And you'll be on an episode of Southern Charm at some point. Can't <laughs> he wait. does apparently live not far from where I live. I don't know. I, I've seen him, but I and it apparently is a pink house. I haven't found it yet. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see you on the show. Um, thank you for so much for coming on the show. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at RecruitingDaily.com.